Hello, welcome to the You Can Try podcast. I'm Penny Wilkin from You Can Coaching. And on this podcast, I'm going to talk to people who share my passion for swimming, cycling, running and triathlon, as well as anything in between. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm delighted to be talking to Naji Ali today. So Naji is a, a marathon swimmer, total immersion coach and lives on the other side of the pond over in the States. So welcome to the podcast, Naji. Thank you so much, Penny. It's a pleasure to be here. And go on, just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, a bit about your family, what you do for a living. Sure. Well, I, um, as you said, am a total immersion coach, and I also live here in San Francisco, California. I work at my regular job, um, feeding the homeless and marginalized here in San Francisco. I've been doing that for 15 years. And I live in a community house with other people that also work at the soup kitchen with my wife, uh, Chrissy, and our mischievous little cat, Mrs. Chippy. Okay, wow. And what sort of, I mean, do you do any swim coaching? Coaching do you do? Well, right now it's limited, unfortunately, obviously due to uh, COVID-19, but I am working with a young man um, in open water at the moment at a place called Aquatic Park here in San Francisco on Sundays. And he is a wonderful young person. And uh, we're just, you know, going through the basics of uh, total immersion and he seems to be catching on. He's really into it. And it's it's always nice to see someone's progression. I remember when I first started and and it was nice to finally see the progression. And hopefully I'm still getting that. But it's really enjoyable to work with him. But like I said, due to COVID-19, um, the numbers have to be limited, obviously, because I don't want people to be risking infection. So I don't, you know, do any hands-on coaching. I mostly demonstrate in the water with him or show him on dry land from six feet away, obviously. But, you know, we're making progress, and that's the main thing. Okay, so you just do a little bit of coaching in, in your spare time on top of your job and your family and your own swimming. Exactly, yeah. Most of my TI coaching, um, unlike a lot of other coaches, and I, you know, I think it's great that they have that opportunity, I don't charge for my services simply because majority of the time I teach marginalized people and people of color who aren't um, uh, aquatic, you know, comfortable. And so, you know, rather than then trying to find the cash to be able to go to get lessons, I just offered to go ahead and coach them for free. Okay, yeah, that's very generous. Yeah, it's, 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 I like to try to give back. TIs give me a lot for, you know, virtually nothing, and I feel I need to repay that debt. And tell me, um, so you talked a bit about lockdown. So, um how has lockdown been in San Francisco? Have you been work able to carry on working or what's been happening? Yeah, we pretty much uh, were working since the beginning of our lockdown, which started back in March on the 17th of March. And uh, for about four or five months, um, there was just seven of us working simply because we didn't want the rest of our volunteers to be at the risk of exposure because of our population, which is... Uh, mostly or not mostly, but a lot of people are dealing with mental health issues and uh, uh -huh. substance abuse issues. So keeping you know, six feet apart in, in 
can be very challenging for our guests. So we decided, and also a lot of our volunteers are um, older. And when I say older, like, you know, 70 or so above, we decided that the risk was too great. So we engineered a plan to just do takeout. And seven of us have been doing that pretty efficiently for about four or so months straight, six days on, one day off. And then recently we decided that we needed to have an, an additional day off. So we backed off of one day. We do serve seven days a week, uh, one meal, but it was becoming too labored for us. And we decided that for our own sanity, um, each have two days off. So today is one of my days off, which is Friday. And then I'll have another day off on Sunday. And it's the time I come in early in the morning at about 5 a.m. and begin prepping the food and cleaning everything else and chopping it up. And others come in later on and they cook the food and we all bag it together. And at the end of the time, I clean the place up and head home and the rest of them hand out the bags to our guests. And then they come home um, a few hours after I do. Sounds sounds pretty full on. Yeah, it's 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 been working well. Um, obviously, it can be exhausting as we all are. We're all tired of having to sh shelter in place and, uh, you know, wear these masks and obviously keep six feet apart and not being able to hug, you know, people that we really care about. But we all have to be safe. And I'm sure it's the same in the UK. So we just have to be really cautious, you know, about um, our distances. And, uh, you know, but there's there's other ways around that. And, you know, um, just trying to, you know, take walks together or, you know, I go on bike rides or I try to swim as often as I can out in open water. So I find my ways of keeping my sanity and so tell us a bit about your swimming so have you been able to swim through this period at all and, and where would you normally swim well where i swim is normally out in open water at a place called aquatic park and i'm a member of an organization called the south end rowing club which is the oldest athletic club west of the mississippi river here in the united states and it's been around since 1873 so about eight years after the Civil War, it ended up as when it first was founded. So it's pretty old. And uh, due to COVID-19, we haven't been able to go into the club to utilize our lockers, the showers, the saunas. So we've been on these concrete bleachers that in front of where we all swim. And it's been a little challenging uh, because, you know, you have to bring, you know, your own bottled water to pour over you after you're out and, you know, get your clothes back on and, uh, you know, you have to deal with sometimes if it's colder water, obviously some hypothermia. Um, I'm used to the cold water that we have here, but I'm also more used to having a shower and a sauna. So it's a little bit challenging, but I still do it. Um, back in March, I didn't go because I didn't have those facilities. So I didn't feel it was wise for me to go and I don't have a car. But over the last couple of months, I've returned. Um, the temperature has been... Um, reasonable for me uh you know it's about um 60 degrees fahrenheit for uh here in the united states i'm not exactly sure what that would be in celsius but um you know it's it's one of those things where uh you know you just you just do the best that you can and uh you know it's 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 not too bad and and, and i've been happy you know to to be back in the water and do you swim with a wetsuit, without a wetsuit? So, and this is swimming in the sea, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I do not wear a wetsuit. I swim year-round 
without a wetsuit. Um, I only use my one cap, my goggles, my earplugs, and my uh, bathing suit. So that's how I do it. Um, as a marathon swimmer, that's what I'm required to do anyway. Um, I did wear a wetsuit for a short period of time, but I found it too constricting, especially for um, my TI technique. So uh, I know others have been successful. I just never uh, had the patience to try to figure it out. So I just took it off and started going without it 12 years ago, and I never looked back. Okay, yeah, good for you. Um, and, and so how cold does it get in the winter? Uh, in the winter, it can drop pretty low. Um, it can get to, I'd say, about um, 10 degrees Celsius. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, I don't swim as long then as I do now. I can go several hours if I'm in really good shape at 60 degrees or 15 degrees Celsius. But at 10 degrees, I'm pushing it at about 45, 50 minutes. Um, and I'd need That's a shower good, or sauna. Yeah, 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 that's pretty good at 10 degrees. Yeah, yeah, well, sometimes some people might see it's a little bit foolish, but I like doing it, and I've, and I've gotten used to it over the years. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I uh, have ambitions for that. And, I mean, is there a really big marathon swimming community there, or is it just you and one or two people, or how, how does it look? Oh, no, no, there's, there's, there's some extremely accomplished marathon swimmers at our club. There's more than at least 30 people that have swum the channel. Um, there's others who've done the Cook Strait, uh, the Suguru uh, Strait, um, the Molokai Channel, uh, the North Sea, just just a whole barrage of different places all over the world and all over the Bay Area and, and California where they swum. So there's a large community of marathon swimmers at my club, which I'm very fortunate to utilize their expertise as well as uh, many of them are more than happy to help you if you're looking into doing a swim. Okay. So when you go down to the club for a swim, do you, you know, there's other people for you to train with, is there, and, and join in a group, or do you just go on your own? I mostly go on my own. And the reason why I do that is because, you know, sometimes it wasn't as bad when I first joined the club 12 years ago or actually it was worse when I joined the club 12 years ago of people having this negative attitude about total immersion and not really understanding it. So they were very dismissive. And so getting into any kind of discussion with them that wasn't going to lead anywhere. I just went off and did my own thing and, and, and did the drills or, you know, concentrate on different focal points with my whole stroke and, you know, would swim on my own. And I, I'm like that with, endurance sports and uh with something that i consider meditative which is definitely what i consider swimming and especially total immersion swimming is that i can just be out there on my own and really feeling the water and understanding what's going on and just like i do when i do my yoga and when i do um, my meditation in the morning it's just me so i i like that 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 solo effort um that being said i i do swim with certain people on occasions who i really enjoy swimming with um, and that, that has always been very fulfilling. I'm not a type A personality that has to like be fast and race and try to beat somebody. I could care less if someone beats me. I'm just having fun and enjoying myself and just being in my own space when I'm out there. And yeah, I mean, that fits really nicely with total immersion, doesn't it? And the, the philosophy, um, you know, of the coaching method. Absolutely. Um, so go on, tell me how... 
uh, yeah, a bit more about your swimming. How did you get into total immersion? And I mean, have you swam your whole life or is it something you came to as an adult? Yeah, well, um, that story, I'll, I'll give you the quick version. When I was 13 years old, I was hired on a summer job to work with a marine biologist in San Diego, California, where I grew up. And this is really close near the ocean. And it's a beautiful area of uh, Southern California. And he taught me so much about aquatic life. And I'd always loved the ocean. And one day he told me that we were going to go 20 miles out to sea to catch albacore tuna and bring it back in captivity. And this is the late 70s. No one had ever done it before. He wanted to be the first one. And so we went on this boat with crew and went out. And it was a really lovely day, very hot and very flat, which is extremely rare, 20 miles out in the ocean. And they caught two albacore and they put them in these special tanks that they had brought along for that purpose. And at the end of the time, one of the crew members said, well, I'm going to go for a swim. So he stripped down to his trunks, jumped off the side of the boat and started swimming around for a little while. And I went running over to the railing to watch him. And he was doing breaststroke and the crawl and backstroke. And after a while, about 20 minutes, he got back into the boat and was toweling off. And I approached him. I said, wow, that was really cool. I'm wondering if you could teach me how to swim like that. And I'll never forget it. He put his hand on my shoulder and he laughed and he says, oh, kid, black people don't swim. And everybody on the boat laughed. And I was wow. so embarrassed and traumatized that I just kind of walked away and I never brought it up for 30 years. And fast forward to 2008, I'm watching the Olympics, the second night of um, the swimming at the Beijing Olympics. And I'm watching Michael Phelps um, try to continue on to his historic and there was the men's um, four by 100 meter relay. And as we both know, you know, the United States came from behind to beat France in order to win the gold medal and break a new world record. But the thing that really caught my attention was the third leg of the 400 relay is uh, an African-American young man named Cullen Jones swimming for the United States. And I was just like glued to the television watching this. I couldn't believe it, you know, that someone... Um, who was from my background, was at this, you know, caliber of swimmer. And, you know, at the end, I decided that I was going to be determined to learn how to swim. So I started Googling some places to go. And I went to one person. He was a very nice man and taught me rudimentary skills of swimming, but I just didn't really feel a connection. Then I went to another person. And this woman also was really great. And she taught me you know, just rudimentary things. And so after an hour of her teaching, she said, you know, you might be better off dealing with an organization that really targets uh, adults who want to learn how to swim. And I said, well, what organization is that? And she said, total immersion. And I said, total immersion, what's that? And she said, well, you should Google it. So I did, and I looked it up, and I found out about this man, Terry Laughlin, and uh, he had written a book about uh, what he was talking about. And so I got the book from the library and I read it and it just resonated with me immediately from the first page on to the very last. And I looked around on their website and I saw to my great joy that they were going to have a workshop in San Francisco in a few months. So I saved up my pennies and I um, signed up for the workshop and I went there and uh, coach Dave Cameron, who is of course good friends of yourself and I, and also Fiona Law, Terry's eldest daughter, were the two uh, lead coaches. And so I went to this two-day workshop and learned the different uh, drills. 
and also practice a little whole stroke, which I wasn't great at at the time because you have to understand I was learning at the age of 43, but I was determined to learn. So I went to the pool literally every single day for the next six months and just worked on the drills and did a little whole stroke and worked on the drills more and did a little whole stroke. Some days were great. Other days were frustrating. Other days I was just like, ah, I'll never get this. And finally, one day when I thought I had some modicum of understanding, I decided that I was going to try a lap of swimming and just see what happens. And if it worked great, if not, well, you know, we'll just keep trying. And to my great surprise, I made it down to the end of the pool in about 14 strokes. And I just, wow. you know, reached the end and I, my mouth was just wide open and I couldn't believe what I had just done. And I went back the other way. And I did 14 again and I went back the other way, did 14 again, went back the other way, did I think like 15 or 16. But I was just amazed at all the things that Terry and Dave Cameron and uh, Fiona and so many other coaches over the years have taught me with the drills and, and, and how total immersion really can just change your life and also just show you that it's not, you know, this thing that you have to know since you were a kid to learn how to swim. You know, you can learn it as an adult. And I was just blown away by it. And that was, you know, 12 years ago. And I have been a devotee to total immersion ever since. I didn't know how to swim any other way. So for me, it just made sense. And it just really resonated with me. And so when I'm speaking with people and when they see me and they ask about my swimming, I turn them on to it. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of a total aversion evangelist. And um, I just tell them, you know, what I love about it. And if they want to learn, I'm more than happy to teach them. So that's basically my story. And so it sounds like you went from not being able to swim very much at all and, um, you know, tell us a bit about your marathon swimming. So I think, that, you know, it's really impressive to go from not swimming at all to attempting, you know, a marathon swim. So, so tell us what you tried to do. Absolutely. Well, I learned, I, I, I really, the only real reason why I wanted to learn how to swim was because I was on the boat and I was out in the ocean and I've always liked ocean. I always like being at the beach. So I wanted to swim in the ocean. And so over time, I heard about marathon swimming. I, I had no idea what it was. And just a friend of mine's at the club who had swam the English Channel recently had told me, he says, you know, you should look into doing it. And I says, okay, I, I, I don't know how to swim that good. And he says, no, 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 you just build up to it over time. You know, you start with one mile and then you go with two and then three and then four and then five. And, you know, before you know it, you're, you know, 6.2 is considered a marathon swim just for the fact that um, 6.2 miles takes roughly, if you're an elite swimmer, two and a half hours. And so that's the same amount of time that it takes an elite runner to complete, you know, a 26.2 mile marathon. So I started looking into it. And uh, finally, one day after uh, uh, considering it, I, I approached another man who is very knowledgeable in open water and he started taking me out and he showed me just various things that I had to learn and how to learn how to feed in the water and pacing myself and making sure that I was really good at sighting and that, you know, I understood about different landmarks and, you know, in the area where I was swimming. And when I finally got to a point where I was very competent, um, he took me on my very first marathon swim, was from, which was from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Bay Bridge, which is a distance of just over six and a half miles. 
And I swam it and it was absolute sheer joy for me, Penny. I was just like a kid in a candy store. I was just jumping around in the boat afterwards. I was so excited. The next day I was still so excited and it was just amazing. And I looked back when I finally reached the destination. I said, I made it all that way. I made it all that way. And, and I says, no one helped me. No one, no one gave me any kind of assistance whatsoever. It was just me out there doing it. And I just got the bug from there on. And I just kept on trying to figure out other things to do. And then I swam from a certain part of the Pacific Ocean in an area called Point Bonita to the Bay Bridge. And that was a distance of just over 10 miles. And um, last year I attempted um, my longest swim yet from a place called Anacapa Island, which is in Southern California in the Santa Barbara Channel to the mainland. And that's about 12.4 miles. Unfortunately, um, the weather got the weather got so rough that we had to abandon the swim, so I wasn't able to complete it. But you know, hopefully one day I'll be able to come back and try to have a swim again. But yeah, that's 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 how my marathon story first began. Yeah, no, it's definitely really impressive, I think, and it's such a great story to hear that you can go from swimming, you know, not swimming at all, to doing such amazing things, and. Um, yeah, God, I have to put all of those swims on my bucket list. One day I'm going to get to San Francisco to do some of those swims. Well, you'll be absolutely welcome. I'll be more than happy to be on your crew and help facilitate in any way I can. Cool. Well, I, I mean, if COVID hadn't got in the way, I was going to be in San Francisco this summer. Oh. Um, yeah, that that's a shame that didn't happen. Yeah, um, but just... Tell me, so, um, yeah, thanks for sharing your that story. Um, yeah, so I'm interested to talk, yeah, a little bit more about, um, you know, black and ethnic minority people in swimming, because mm -hmm. there's been a little bit of discussion in some of the swimming groups and, you know, of course, what would Black Lives Matter and everything else going on at the moment. Right. Um, so what? why do you think so few black and minority people are involved in swimming? What do you think the barriers are? Well, you know, it's interesting that you phrase the question that way, because from 1440 to 1880, um, Africans and um, slaves who were here in the New World at the time were considered the greatest swimmers, canoe builders and divers in the world. It was just hands down. There was no dispute whatsoever. Um, and this was actually pointed out by Europeans um, who said this. And there was, you know, a lot of Africans who lived on the coast, who lived near the ocean or near rivers. And aquatic life was just a part of their life. Uh, the children learned how to swim from as early as six months, um, six to 11 months. And, you know, that was just, you know, what it was. You know, they had a rich swimming tradition. Now, granted, um, over time, uh, especially here in the United States, and I can only speak to that directly, um, we began having uh, issues with immigrants, uh, um, you know, people of color who didn't bathe as often, and those from the Victorian era who were living in the United States had said, well, this has to be taken care of. You know, this is a health you know, issue and stuff like that. I don't want to get diseases from these people, so we should try to create some place where they can go ahead you know, and bathe. And so they started building these bathhouses all over the country. And immigrant people and people of color were, you know, 
sent to go and, 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 and bathe in these places um, because before they would be um, in the rivers and the lakes and whatever, and they would be obviously uh, completely nude. And to the Victorian sensibilities, this was in the front, you know, and these people were very uncouth and they were making gestures towards the end that were, you know, not seen as being proper for, you know, that mm-hmm. Victorian era. And so they started building these bathhouses where they could bathe. Over time, these bathhouses evolved. And by the way, they weren't segregated at the time. Um, both, um, they were segregated by gender, but not by race. Um, so, wow. you yeah. know, Irish, um, you know, uh, uh, um, British, uh, you, you know, Native American, African American, Latino, they all bathed together at these same places. Over time, they started getting... Uh, you know, these athletic clubs being built up and then they started having these indoor pools and they wanted to have a place where the Victorians could come and just have their own little time together. And so they kind of barred um, these people from coming, meaning um, the lower classes, as it were. But over uh-huh. time, some people said, well, you know, some will be allowed to come. And so what they meant by some of them was like, you know, other immigrants who are now considered white, you know, such as the Irish or Italians or, or, or whoever. But um, as it kept going, uh, they started building these huge municipal pools here in the United States, and they were just gigantic. Uh, the largest was here at Flyshecker Pool. I think it was a thousand feet long and a hundred and or 250 feet wide. It's gigantic. Um, and it was the largest one here in the country. And as these pools were being built, they had like, you know, little sand barges and whatever on the side because it was a nice recreational place for um, people to take their families. And during these times when these um, pools were being built, the bathing costumes for both men and women began to shrink. Um, It started with Annette Kellerman, the Australian swimmer, who uh, was scandalous in her one-piece bathing suit. And so Uh a lot of young women started, you know, catching on to that and they got into those and then over time it got smaller and smaller and smaller and the men um, used to wear these very heavy uh, shirts along with their bathing costumes and they took the shirts off because they wanted to make sure that the girls were admiring them and that started happening there was a lot of socialization that began to happen at these pools and that's when the authorities realized oh this is now happening well guess what blacks are no longer allowed to come I don't want a bunch of black men who are savages, you know, looking on and, and, and lusting after these young white women in their scandalous dress and trying to attack them. So blacks were barred, uh, definitely legally in the South, they were barred um, more or less by the wink and the nod of all the local officials, as well as the community police in the North. They were also barred, although it wasn't legal. So it wasn't until like the mid 50s, 1950s here in the United States where the Supreme Court of the United States said that, you know, separate and equal is not constitutional and you need to integrate that um, blacks were allowed to go to these pools. But unfortunately, at that time, the pools um, were just abandoned by the white community and they started becoming very dilapidated and they weren't kept up. And over time, they just fell into disrepair and a lot of people just didn't have access to pools. So generation after generation didn't have any access whatsoever. So that whole swim culture, which we had so richly in our past, just began to evaporate. Um, 
And so now we're faced with that situation today where blacks drown nine times more often than whites do. And, you know, African-American children, you know, still at one point it was 74% didn't know how to swim. Now it's down to like 64%. That's still an astronomically high number, in my opinion. Um, I'd rather have it down to zero for everybody, but that's just me. And so we're making some progress, but it's, it's still a long way. So to answer your question in this incredibly long-winded way, it had to do with legal segregation. It had to do a lot with um, social you know, uh, exclusion and isolation by the public. And also it had to do a lot with um, our own communities just over time, just assuming that we didn't swim, that we didn't know our history, which we don't. And saying that, you know, that remark that that man told to me on the boat was one that we used to use with each other. Oh, black people don't swim. Black people don't do this. Black people don't surf, which is completely not true, um, given our history. But that is where we're at with people. Um, it's starting to change around now, especially with, like you said, the Black Lives Movement. But it's a slow progression. Um, I've been involved with it a lot. Uh, for the last 12 years, I'll continue to be involved with it, trying to teach anybody who wants to learn how to swim, because I, like yourself, I consider it a life skill first and, you know, a sport and a recreation second. So it's something that everyone needs to learn. And, and that's my goal. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it is appalling that, um, you know, so few black minority people can, can swim and the statistics about drowning and, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what the statistics are in the UK, but I'm, I'm sure it, it's probably similar. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the history, um, you know, you've educated me then about some things, um, you know, so it is, you know, really fascinating to hear the background and the history. Again, I'm sure the historic situation is perhaps a little bit different in the UK. Um, you know, so that's something I perhaps... I think I need to educate myself about it a little bit more. Um, and I mean, what do you think needs to be done to, or, or what do you think would help to encourage more um, people to swim? Well, here, in the, at least in the United States, what our, we're trying to do, and I'm with a number of other um, coaches as well as uh, water instructors and lifeguards who are people of color, is that we're trying to build up networks where we're going out into our communities and specifically in our communities and saying, hey, listen, we all know how to swim. This is what needs to happen. This is where it needs to go and to try to gain access. I, Penny, I'm of the sincere belief that a person's more motivated to do something if someone that's teaching them looks like them. Yeah. You know, you're a lot more motivated. So, wow, that's just, that person doesn't. I can, I can end up doing that's one of the reasons why I'm talking to you now is because I saw Cohen Jones on the television doing what he was doing. And, you know, sometimes uh, like even the young gentleman that I'm working with now on Sundays, as I uh, talked about earlier um, in open water, he's a young uh, Latinx gentleman. And he says, it's really good to see someone, you know, that comes from a community that I can relate to that, you know, is swimming and is helping me be more proficient. And it motivates him to want to, like, you know, encourage others. Uh, to learn how to swim. So it's, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, I think access is the other thing, uh, you know, making sure that people can have the opportunities to go to pools to learn how. There's not that many pools in the urban areas here in the United States. And, you know, like I said before, they, they let them fall into disrepair. They were demolished. 
things are built over. And especially here in the U.S., and like I said, I can only speak for the U.S., I'm not from the U.K., um, the chances of you having a municipal pool built in an urban area is pretty slim because it's all built up. A lot of them are out in the suburbs or in places where there isn't access. So we need to figure out a transportation method to get them to those places and making sure that there's scholarships available for they can have, you know, the equipment that they need, such as getting trunks and goggles and, and this sort of thing. So it's, it's something that needs to happen, not only but also within the larger swimming community, which I've also been pushing hard at. Um, because recently USA Swimming says, oh, we're going to do better. We're going to have more representation. And a lot of us are pushing USA Swimming and saying, you're not doing enough. I mean, look, I think it's 1.6% uh, of their members are people who identify as black um, out of 300,000. And we said that's completely unacceptable. Uh, you know, they, they have their own history that they've acknowledged of racism and, and discrimination. And, you know, we, we, are, we, are push, we are pushing as hard as we can to let people know that, you know, we all need to think of this as something where it is absolutely a life skill. You cannot survive if you don't drink. You cannot survive if you don't eat. You cannot survive if you cannot communicate in some way. You cannot survive if you fall into a body of water and don't know what to do. You will drown in, 30, in less than 30 seconds. So, you know, this is where we're at. And we need to make that happen. And I think as bad as this pandemic is and as bad as all the things are, especially in this country right now that's going on, and I'm sure you've, you've read about many of them, this is our opportunity to make things happen. And I, a lot of us are really pushing to make that happen. Yeah, no, I definitely think that I agree. Absolutely, there are some opportunities right now to, you know, make some changes and to bring some things a bit more into the public eye. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely aware in my, some of the swimming groups I'm involved in here, that the swimming community, you, you know, it is still very white and still very middle class. Um, and, and I'm sure a lot of that, like you say, is down to access. Pools, getting access to the pools in this country is actually just really complicated. Timetables are complicated. There's not many pools. And actually, it's expensive to go swimming. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, so fascinating. Yeah, so thanks very much for sharing your thoughts. And so um, I think I've taken up enough of, enough of your time. So tell me, have you got any more exciting swimming plans for the future? Yes, I do. There's there's one that I'm planning in the next couple of years. I wish I could tell you more about it. I'm trying to keep it to myself at the moment simply because it's uh, something I'm trying to work out. But it it uh, it could be historic. Um, it, it will be a marathon swim. If, if it happens, I'll be the first person to pull it off um, ever. And uh, it has a lot of historical and social significance for African-Americans and Blacks in the diaspora. So I'm hoping to be able to do that next year or in 2022. Um, so I wish I could tell you more, but, you know, it's, it's, it, it'll be taking place in Africa and I'd be really excited about it. So, Uh-huh. No, that sounds exciting. So, no, we'll um, look forward to following that and hearing more about it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, that does sound super exciting. So, well, thank you very much. It's been amazing to talk to you. 
um yeah really appreciate your time i appreciate being on the show thank you so much Penny. that's it folks thanks very much for joining us we hope you found some of that useful and we'll look forward to you joining us on next week's episode mm-hmm.